In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Family road trips are often full of questions, right? Of course, after that famous question, are we there yet? Comes the next most important question, where are we going? I imagine the disciples on their journey with Jesus asked many questions like this too. But just in case there was any doubt or confusion, Luke tells us over and over and over again in the Gospel where exactly Jesus is going and why he's going to Jerusalem. When the days drew near, Luke records, for Jesus to be taken up, that is to be crucified, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Some of the older translations maybe you remember hearing had Jesus recorded saying, he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. This was his purpose. It's why Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Why he obeyed and fulfilled and kept the law. Why he was baptized in the Jordan River by John. Jesus came to be taken up. To be taken up on the cross for you. In order to take us up together with him. And so he set his face to Jerusalem for you and for all. And on his way, Jesus travels through Samaria. The Samaritans refused him. They rejected. Luke tells us why. It was because he had set his face toward Jerusalem. The the Samaritans had worshipped at a place called Mount Gerizim. It was in the old northern kingdom from the Old Testament, not in Jerusalem, in Judah, in the south. The Samaritans in Luke 9 did not understand why Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, why he must go there to the cross, Ironically, of course, neither did his own disciples yet at this point either. James and John, the sons of thunder, their nickname is. They wanted to call down some Sodom and Gomorrah firework-style airstrikes. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume those Samaritans? No, of course not. That's not the message Jesus called his disciples to proclaim to all nations. You read that and you think, didn't they, didn't they get it? You wonder, didn't they see who Jesus was, what he was saying, what he was doing? But isn't it easy to point the fingers at the disciples and then forget, we're really not that different from them, are we? James and John, you see, admit the truth about us. It's not for us, just as it wasn't for James and John to call down fire from heaven to consume those that are nice to us, or that we don't agree with, or that we have arguments with. You see that because the same fire and brimstone we call down on others could very well be called down on ourselves. Thankfully, that kind of judgment is not given to us. You could just imagine the kind of chaos that would happen if we did have that power. But rather, what is truly remarkable in this whole event, this whole story that Luke records, is that God does not judge the way that we would judge other people, or probably the way that we do often judge others. The Lord instead is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Again, he sets his face to Jerusalem. God judges the world by sending Jesus to be judged in our place, for he is the God who desires to seek and save the lost, even Samaritans, even you and me. And he goes to the greatest length possible. Death on a cross, Paul says, to be judged in our place, to rescue us from sin and death, not just for a temporary rest, but forever. You see, for all the times that we've set our face in the opposite direction of our Heavenly Father's words, 
Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem for you, for all. He set his face to Jerusalem even for the Samaritans, even for those who turned away and slammed the door in his face. So maybe as you walk down the street any time, any day, any given place, and you see a random person walking, be they rich, poor, young or old, well-dressed or not, you can truthfully say to yourself, Jesus gave his life for that person. He set his face to go to the cross in Jerusalem to save that person. You see, there would not be fire from heaven for those Samaritans, and not for us either. Jesus was the only one who received that fire and judgment from heaven on the cross. He was judged in our place on the cross. That's the way of the cross. It's also the way of life for his disciples, for us, his people, his baptized children. As he goes on to say in the rest of the encounter to his disciples and to those who came into contact with him, as they were going down the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Still another came, Follow me, he said. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are pretty tough words, aren't they? Jesus' claim on his disciples, on us, his people, is radical. It's all or nothing. There's no halfway, no half-hearted disciples. To follow Jesus is to go to Jerusalem with him, to go to the cross. To follow Jesus is to die and to rise with him, to lose our life in order to save it, to become the least, and then become great. You see, that's what Jesus saw when he set his face toward Jerusalem. He saw the cross. He knew the suffering and death that was ahead of him. And above all, of course, he saw you. That was his focus, his determination. Like a lifeguard venturing out into the rip currents only with the mind to save that person in need of rescue. Only in the mind to save you. And so the disciples focus. Jesus calls back to him, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Not to look to ourselves, but to look to Jesus. Because the moment we look to ourselves, we get it all wrong. Rather, look to Jesus crucified for you. Remember Elijah from the Old Testament reading. And earlier, in fact, in part of the Old Testament reading that wasn't part of it this morning, Elijah looked to himself. He started whining about he was the only faithful one left in all of Israel, and everybody else was all dead and killed, except him. Only I am left, he said, Lord. But of course, that's where he got all wrong, isn't it? Having his little pity party at Mount Horeb, Jezebel had issued death threats against him, and he expected God to maybe flex some muscle, call down some fire from heaven. He thought he was the only faithful Israelite left on the earth. We even call it an Elijah complex today, don't we? See, Elijah quickly learned it really wasn't about him. The kingdom of God, the Lord's work, did not rest on his shoulders as if he was the only one to do it. He wasn't alone. The Lord reminded him, 7,000 Israelites have not bowed the knee to the false idol of Baal. They have not committed their ways to the false god. You are not alone, Elijah. 
And the church, we, well, we live in this same kind of hidden mystery. We don't always see the fullness of every baptized, beloved believer in Christ. We can only hear Jesus' word, see the activity that he does for us, the work he does for us in baptism and the supper and the absolution and his gifts. Thankfully, like Elijah, the kingdom of God does not rest on our shoulders either, but on Jesus' shoulders, on the cross for you. You see, with Elijah, we learn that God sometimes works in hidden ways. Elijah saw power and glory. He saw fire rain down from heaven. He saw earthquakes. He even saw the prophets of Baal consumed on the mountain. But he also learned that fire from heaven was not God's ultimate purpose. Instead, it was to justify the ungodly, to save and redeem sinners, to show mercy. You see, God was not in that strong wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not even in the roaring fire. God was in that soft voice, in his word, where he spoke to Elijah. You see, we expect God often to shout, but sometimes he simply speaks in a small voice. Hidden in bread and wine, in simple water, in a fellow sinner who communicates God's word to you. Simple, ordinary things. Dear baptized Christian, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he is the one who fixed his eyes on Jerusalem to save and redeem you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.